Previously on Darkwater Podcast. Police say they are only beginning their investigation into the two decomposing bodies discovered across the street from each other this week. Somebody wanted her body found right there. They wanted to let you know, hey, you do this shit right here, what she was doing, and the same damn thing that happened to her is going to happen to you. She says the attacker cut Megan's hair, but her daughter couldn't see who it was. Oh, oh, that's definitely a damn signature. There is some some kind of organization, gang, whatever, that is causing these crimes. Those are not coincidental crimes. It, towns that size don't just uh, explode with crime. Abby Lynn Patterson was last seen leaving her home here on East 9th Street a year ago today. International media hype would suggest a serial killer is roaming the streets of Lumberton, with origins stretching in the previous unsolved disappearances, murders, and mysterious crimes. Is there truly one person responsible for these events, or something darkly complex waiting to be found? That's what we're trying to find out. Welcome to Darkwater, an investigative podcast hosted by me, Brett Andrews. And me, Nick Andrews. You're back with Darkwater Podcast. This week you're stuck with just me, Brett, as Nick is occupied. Are Nick and I related because we have the same last name? Wouldn't you like to know? I don't. Someone should do an investigative podcast on it. But anyway, Nick's very much here in spirit and he's the only reason you're hearing this because he helps me with the research every week and edits and scores every episode using the music we received from our friend and partner, Justin, AKA Moonside Sound. He writes us new tunes weekly. I'd like to take a moment to say thanks to them as well as anyone listening and telling their friends about us. So thank you. You're the reason we keep this up and I hope it leads to something positive. The first three episodes covered the circumstances and theories surrounding the deaths of Kristen Bennett, Rhonda Jones, Megan Oxendine, and the disappearances of Cynthia Jacobs and Abby Patterson. These five women were discovered or vanished in spring and summer 2017 in the crime-ridden area of East Downtown Lumberton, a town of barely over 21,000 people in Robinson County, North Carolina. We heard commentary from some of their family members, Lumberton locals, and forensic scientist Dr. Marie Godwin. No quick recap will do their stories justice at this point. You have to listen to the first three episodes for what we cover today to be significant and make sense. Bottom line, no way around it. So go back and listen if you haven't yet. This is a bit of an impromptu episode, a pause to make things make sense as much as we can and reflect on what we've learned so far. In addition, we had other topics to focus on this episode, but there have been so many updates and developments since the first three that we wanted to deliver those to you first. For instance, we now know there was no official 911 call for the discoveries of Kristen and Rhonda. The man inside the home with Megan when Kristen was found, Johnny Ray Barnes, apparently reported the discovery in person. But I also want to point out another neighbor went on record with media saying he reported the smell of the home to police. So I'm not sure which brought them there first. While the 911 call for Megan has been released, it's heavily redacted and of little value. 
Russ Bowen of CBS 17, who's also covering these cases with his podcast, 32 Degrees, was the first to obtain this call. His podcast is a good source of supplemental info, and he and I are planning to chat soon on the cases, perhaps even for this podcast. I've got to give him credit for being the only journalist I've seen so far that's interested in the nuance of these cases and checking into the details. Anyway, here are the significant portions of the 911 call for Megan, minus the sections that are redacted to preserve anonymity of the caller, roughly 30 seconds worth, as well as a few omitted parts where the caller's voice isn't clear at all, so we don't want to waste your time. 911, location of your emergency. Um, I need to get a sheriff. I need to get some police out here at 6-4. On 8th Street, um, it's a minor 20-something other dead body. Yes, please, Abby. It's, um, is it inside of a residence? Is it in a trash can? Is it in the yard? Where is it located at? It's in the yard. It's in the yard in the bushes. Is it in the front yard or the backyard? It's in the backyard. The address is in the house. Okay. All right, we'll get some money on the way, okay? Just stay out of the area. Don't touch anything. Another credit to Russ Bowen of CBS 17. Through his reporting and cooperation from the state attorney general, he found out that Lumberton to police held on to the rape kits for Kristen, Rhonda, and Megan well over a year. And there's not even a statewide standard for when rape kits have to be turned in, if ever. Attorney General Josh Stein said in the interview with Bowen that he's working on a law, the Survivors Act, that would mandate a 45-day delay in evidence submission maximum to avoid the high risk of evidence deteriorating or being tampered with past that point. There are 15,000 backlog kits with DNA evidence in North Carolina. That's 15,000 human beings waiting. Lumberton Police Chief Michael McNeil acknowledged the evidence should have been sent to the lab sooner, but also claims that law enforcement was advised the kits would likely provide no results. And by the way, they yielded no positive results. But could they have if submitted sooner? That's the issue. And speaking of Megan, one of the detectives that checked up on her between her attack and subsequent death to see if she told her mom anything, Detective Derek Evans, has a pretty interesting timeline of events. He was involved with all three death investigations and was eventually placed on backup for all three as well. He told Rhonda's mom she was killed for stealing a lot of dope. We discussed that in an earlier episode. He told her, quote, that's just what happens, unquote. It even seems he was involved in the decision to destroy the blanket Kristen was found in and the decision to submit her DNA kit to the lab over a year after her discovery, a common thread with all three women. Coincidentally, this only happened after law enforcement in Lumberton were experiencing scrutiny over a failed DNA match follow-up that could have prevented the rape and murder of Hanya Aguilar, a case we're going to cover separately that's received national attention. But anyway, back to Detective Evans and Megan. After Megan's discovery, Detective Evans, who lived down the road from where Megan was found on East 8th Street, who was involved in all of what I just mentioned, sold his truck and moved. moved. It's unclear to me if he is still with Lumberton Police, but he seemed to be as of July 2018 from what I've seen. It sounds like he might have a unique perspective on these events. Moving on, I want to shed some light on the theory laid out at the end of Episode 3. It's been reported that Rhonda and Kristen were killed by one man, called O for now, at the behest of a local female drug dealer in Lumberton, with a penchant for vindictively cutting other women's hair. We've given her the name S for the time being. She also works with a man, called P for now, her literal partner in crime. The man they supposedly hired to kill Kristen and Rhonda, O, 
has, according to this same tipper, been questioned by the FBI while in jail on other charges. But anyway, why would the female drug dealer, S, do this? Supposedly, Rhonda and Kristen stole drugs from her. After giving an interview to a local news station and being in the home Kristen was found in, Megan Oxendine was said to be attacked and later killed because of the information she possessed pertaining to Kristen and Rhonda. It said Megan was killed by a different man we're calling E for now. E was also allegedly working for the same female drug dealer, S, and her partner, P. It seems Cynthia and Abby were caught in the same web, given their connections and proximity to Rhonda, Kristen, and Megan. They disappeared or were also killed given what they saw or knew, or who they interacted with in common. Again, all this is according to that tipper. When I was given this info originally, I told them that if they were truly confident, they should report it to the FBI. Anyway, all these discoveries and disappearances happen literally blocks from one another. There are other details we're working to understand from that theory in episode 3, so it's understandable if you are too. At this point, multiple sources are corroborating this version of events, and the number is growing. Even someone that's been sending Nick and I encrypted emails, someone calling themselves A under the premise of providing data and information that might be able to push this from the realm of theory into fact. And without using their names, I can tell you the people in this theory are very real, with extreme criminal records. But don't take my word for it. This week I spent close to two hours on the phone with someone about as close to these cases as you can get. They agreed to speak anonymously. What they have to say also backs up the chain of events and the theory we've been discussing with an interesting revelation at the end. Here it is. Hey, how are you? Pretty good, how are you? Doing well. That's good. Yeah. I was just uh, calling you back to give you a chance to go over some of the things you were telling me on the phone a couple nights ago. Um, and if you're still okay with that, you've got a chance to speak on it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where I can start at, except, like I told you, that that was a girl saying this drug dealer, I'll say that, drug dealer, at a drugstore, arguing with the girl, threatening to throw her in a trash can like she did. Well, what happened? Was that right drugstore you said? I'm talking to Brett. She went to whose house? Her wife's cousin's house. And how was it happening? And when she walked in, the girl, drug dealer name, I'm good sis. And a girl named Gorgon. And she was talking about Cynthia Jacobs when she first walked in. She's missing, you know. Yeah. Cynthia Jacobs. And then they get Oregon and she threatened them, throw her in the trash can like she did Rhonda. And I meant we we have heard so many people tell us this killed those girls. And I've had a couple of people tell me the reason she did was because Rhonda and Christian stole a 
large amount of dope from her. I just found out yesterday that um, the FBI was back here Thursday, again going door to door over there. And I'm hoping it's because they've got some new leads or something because it has been almost two, two years and yeah, next month will be two years. Do you know if they checked else in particular? No, because when it happened, it took, took us a couple of weeks to really talk to the detectives and find out that he had confessed to beating on the two weeks prior to her death. Oh, just like Megan, perhaps? Yeah. I heard somebody tell me last week that Cynthia Jacobs was dead and she's still posted on the missing list of Robert Robson County as it stands, but I don't see how people like her and Abby and them just go missing for two years and never contact family or nothing if they are still alive, you know. Yeah. Somewhere. Or at least someone they know in another state would see them, something like that. This is what pulls me. All this stuff is happening less than 10 blocks from the police department. Less than 10 blocks. And I know those cops ride over there all the time because every time I pass through there, we see one. So they're in the area frequently? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand how the most drugs in Wilmington are sold just a few blocks from the police department. I don't understand it. I mean, seems like that would be the best place I'd move to see a dope. I'd be like, uh, I'm going to get away from town and all them walls, you know. Yeah, that is curiously close. These here people are known by the laws. I mean, they um, know I'm very well. So do you think it was only or also people helping her? I think she had help. In fact, I know if she jumped around I know she had to have help. I know she did. Yeah, because I know you said Rhonda was a fighter. Because her and Rhonda's fought before and Rhonda wasn't scared of one bit. Not be it. I promise you, Rhonda wasn't scared. But see, if, as her so called boys went there all the time, so of course people were scared of her. You know, she got all them boys that hold them down while she beats them. And it's, it's just a street life, I guess, nowadays. But I, I can't comprehend somebody. If you kill somebody, at least leave them where somebody can find them and, you know, let their families give them a proper funeral. Don't hide them until they decompose and they are not even recognizable and found the way Rhonda and them was found, you know. Yeah. I don't comprehend stuff like this. I think maybe you're dealing with people who don't think like normal humans, you know. 
they have been like we said, they've been five girls found dead and missing from April the 18th until September the 5th, right there together. And when I think of it that way, I don't think of because I mean, how in the world can she get rid of kill five people? And then that's where people wonder, are, are cops involved? And I just, I keep praying that's not the case. But I'm not. Yeah, I know a lot of people are suggesting that, but it, it seems hard to tell, you know, how plausible that might be. Well, it maybe both when it all comes out, you know, it might be a little bit of both. Yeah. What benefit do you think they would have in protecting like a, a hand in her business or something like that? Yeah, because I've heard that certain private investigators would come in who didn't know nobody here and that way nobody wants to be looking out for this person or that person, you know, it would be somebody that knew nobody here. That makes sense. I'm sort of in the midst of that. I ain't met them yet. I've heard there's somebody who wants to take this case, but I ain't talked to them. I know their name, get them up, and then, I mean, I kind of think of it this way. It's been almost two years, and if nobody's talked or found nothing out by now, I seriously doubt anybody would come in and find anything new out at, at this point, you know. Unless someone that hasn't been speaking finally does. Yeah. 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 Fine. Now, um, without using any names, do you think there's any connection between whoever helped her and who you described as somebody that was rich and powerful in Lumberton last time that is also in that area? Because I was just curious about that. And It was a longer. I'll say that much. <laughs> and... His name's been mentioned. I ain't gonna say how it's been mentioned, but it's very popular when these girls is this. You can basically put two or two this who's getting on that one. Yeah. We have people that are tell us stuff and make us promise not to use their names because people are scared for their life to even get involved. And it's like all these people are scared. One wanted want me to meet her last month, and I, I met her at a food line, and she um, told me it was I'm gonna say their name, but she she literally made me promise God first to never use her name on that. She was like. Promise God first. I said, okay, kill me. And it's the same thing we have heard since day one. Hold on, Brett. No problem. Hey, Brett. Hey. Okay, um, so a tip was made to the FBI the other day from a very reliable source that has been working on this case for a few months now and then, I'm sure you know what a sleuth hound is. Yeah. Okay. These people are slew pounds, and they've been like digging up all this information and compiling all this stuff. Okay, one of them actually made a tip to the FBI the other day because what they had gathered, they feel very confident, you know, that this is 
what happened. So, um, what was said was that Rhonda and Christina stole some drugs from got mad and hired to kill Rhonda and Christina. Mm-hmm. And because Megan was going around trying to tell what happened, she was killed by because of her character because he had already killed Rhonda and Christina. I see. But that's what so as far as you know it was only the first time because I've heard some people claim he had help or there was another person but you think it was Jill somebody named okay uh, yeah I've heard of him he wouldn't have been able to do it yeah and I, I think I might have been speaking with the same tipper you're talking about the other night because if it is the same person, they weren't sure what to do, and I said they should at least tell the FBI. Yeah. If they really felt that confident in it. Yeah. They're very confident that they think it's what really happened. And honestly, with all the stuff that, because they, you know, they talk to me about a lot of the information they get, and I talk to them about a lot of stuff, and I, I'm starting to believe that may have been what really happened. Well, if it was, hopefully us talking about it, saying these things out loud can force pressure on the cases. Yeah. Well, um, did Mama tell you I talked to, uh... Uh, the man who was in the house with Megan when Kristen was killed? Yeah. yeah. What did he have to say? Well, basically, he told... I don't know if he made a 911 call or how to get in contact with the police. Mm-hmm. He said he ran across to the store. Yeah. He didn't make a phone call. And um, when I asked him, I said, well, what do you think happened? You know, what's the word on the street? And he said, the word on the street is that hired somebody to kill him because they stole some drugs. And I said, well, do you think that he did? He said, I don't think I got it in him to kill nobody. And I told him, I said, well, you don't never know. I said, you know, you need to be careful with who you're hanging out with. He was like, well, I hang out with these people all the time. I said, you need to be careful, I said, because you don't never know what people's got in them. Yeah. And I left it, I left it at that, you know, but he, he claimed, he didn't think got it in him to kill nobody. But, there was a girl on Facebook on that Murder Mystery Mayhem page and told them that they knew personally and it never been hurt to kill nobody or hurt nobody. And I know way better than that. Because yeah. I know for a fact yeah, plenty of people have said that people that seem like they couldn't do that afterward, you know, end up being people exactly like that, so. Yeah, it, when I hear people say stuff like that, I always go back and think about that man that killed his wife and their, their three kids last year. And that's what I think about, you know, this woman was married to him, she was pregnant for him again, they already had three kids, she trusted him, and he killed her and their children. Okay, so here are some phone call notes. In case it was hard to make out at times, here's what we learned from that call. The anonymous source close to the case alleges the following. That the FBI has been going door-to-door in Lumberton recently, and the source echoes the same theory we've already been discussing. A female drug dealer, the woman called S, and her partner, P, going after Kristen and Rhonda for stealing from her, and Megan for what she knew, all the while assisted by several male counterparts, and possible police involvement. 
The caller also speculated Abby and Cynthia are related because of how close they were to the other women. There was also the note about the lawyer at the end, which we'll get to soon. I decided the best thing to do after this phone call was to see what the FBI could say to me regarding some of the claims, so I could find out what, if any, of their answer aligned with this theory. I sent Shelley Lynch, the public affairs specialist for the FBI Charlotte Field Office, an email to confirm or deny some of the details mentioned in the phone call. She was kind enough to answer all my questions and even has a message for listeners. Here's a transcript of our communication. So my first question for her was, can you confirm, deny the FBI has been canvassing East Lumberton in recent weeks due to new tips regarding circumstances surrounding the deaths and disappearances of Kristen Bennett, Rhonda Jones, Megan Oxendine, Cynthia Jacobs, and or Abby Patterson? And she said simply, we have not been canvassing the area. I don't know if that's to preserve the integrity of the investigation or if they actually aren't, but either way, that's all she had to say on that. Second question was, can you confirm, deny the FBI has questioned O, the man from the theory earlier, regarding potential involvement in the deaths of Kristen or Rhonda? She said, we've talked to hundreds of people to help in our investigation. It would be inappropriate to name any individuals we've spoken to. Question three, I asked, without names, can you comment on the types of cases typically handled by the agents assigned to the cases of Kristen, Rhonda, Megan, and or Abby? Essentially, what type of cases do they work? She said they work all types of cases, which is common for an FBI resident agency like our Fayetteville office. Next question, I said, in addition to the questions above, are there further updates on the aforementioned cases you can share? She said, as the FBI is only assisting the Lumberton Police Department, I'd refer you to them for any updates. And my final question to her was, would you be receptive in the future to a phone or in-person interview regarding your experience with the cases in Robeson County during your time at the FBI? If not, would someone else be available to do so? She said it's not appropriate for the FBI to provide interviews since we are only assisting the Lumberton Police Department. We provided a number of resources to help in the death investigations. We still have many unanswered questions. She said, I would encourage you to remind the community we still need their help. No one has provided information to help us confirm where the women were before they died or exactly when they were last seen alive. She also said they're still offering a 30K reward and thanks for any help you can give us. So between our anonymous call and what Shelley Lynch said, the FBI public affairs specialist, it's clear that there are people in Lumberton that need to speak up one way or another. 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 The lawyer I'm not naming for now had this to say in an interview. I have absolutely no knowledge of that. 505, meaning 505 Peachtree Street, the address of the home, was an abandoned building. As far as I knew, the place had been boarded up. The article also goes on to say that he cooperated with law enforcement efforts to enter the home and process the scene. It also mentioned his plans to refurbish the home, which came true as we know, and offer it for rent again. He was also quoted as saying, in that area of the prostitution, it is adversely affecting our ability to rent properties. They are all over and they are getting worse. And here's some audio of him speaking on having Kristen found in his home. It was a shock to us. Um, I don't know many landlords who have ever had a dead body in their in their place. So I had to research what I really was supposed to do, and I found out that uh, the first thing you have to do is properly and legally dispose of bio-waste, that is anything that came into contact with the decaying blood or flesh involved. And a quick fact after that, Chief Michael McNeil of the Lumberton Police Department was quoted as saying, as we reported in earlier episodes, 
There were no reports about the home being a concern for crime, but in an article published by the Robesonian the day after Rhonda and Kristen were found, it was reported that authorities did recognize the home as a problem area, so much so they had bright LEDs installed to discourage drug dealing and sex work there. With all of this culminating in a confusing way, where it's hard to see how deep this theory goes and how true it could be, we wanted to step back a moment before thinking about this group of alleged killers and reflect on what type of people they truly are, or could be, with some quick thought from Dr. Godwin to close us out. Expressive aggression and instrumental aggression. Now, expressive aggression is like um, you take a, a toy away from a kid and they, they throw a temper tantrum. And expressive aggression, expressive of violence, is rage, anger, and hate. And they, I mean, you just fuel by hate, rage, and anger, and you just lose it. And you don't, they're sloppy into crime scenes, they leave forensic clues behind, they tend to drive clunky cars, they tend to have menial jobs or no job at all, they tend to have uh, no high, high school or less, a high school dropout. Which for that area in North Carolina, that could be a large So that's, that's expressive. Now you can see that on one hand, that type of, then you have the instrumental. Now instrumental, the means to end, uh, is non, it's non aggressive acts to achieve a means to end goal. In other words, Ted Bundy was a, uh, used instrumental violence. He was a necrophiliac. He liked to have post-mortem sex with dead women. So murder was not the most important thing to Bundy. Murder, it was a necessity for him to achieve his end result, the post-mortem sexual activity. So, so murder wasn't the most important thing to Bundy. It was necessary to achieve that end result. And also people who do uh, instrumental uh, violence are more focused, on, they're more likely not to leave forensically aware, they're more likely to have a good job, they're more likely that that good job provides them better opportunity to drive a better car and have more money for gas. And they tend to dump their victims in better locations, better hide their victims and stuff like that. The, the person you talk about is an expressive top killer. So that would point to the haphazard disposal? That's right. The blunt force trauma? That's right. Okay. Things that are obviously risky to do. That's right. Yeah, yeah, the killer uh, displays amateurish type uh, be crime scene knowledge and crime scene behavior uh, because of uh, his expressive aggression. aggression. As always, here's a list of growing questions, spanning from the first episode to now. Why was the blanket Kristen was found in destroyed at the medical examiner's office at the request of law enforcement? Was Rhonda's haircut just like Megan's, and what about the other women? Why were the rape kits held by Lumberton police for over a year before being submitted to the lab? Are Abby and Cynthia's disappearances related to the deaths? And where was Abby dropped off by the man in the Buick? Were Rhonda and Kristen killed for stealing drugs, and Megan for what she knew about it? Are the people mentioned in this local tip truly the ones responsible? Unless some of the people that claim to know actually say something to law enforcement, all this is going to be in vain.
So here's a quick shout out to some listeners that have been writing in recently. Thank you, Ryan Locklear, for reminding me of a piece of trivia. So Lumberton is actually the town Michael Jordan's dad was murdered in. And he asked if we were going to be covering that. Uh, Not specifically so far, but I did want to mention that originally. So thank you for saying so. Also, it reminded me of one more thing. David Lynch's neo-noir film, Blue Velvet, though not filmed there entirely, was based in Lumberton. Also something I meant to mention episode one, just as an interesting fact on the town. So if you haven't yet, if you want to be featured in a future Q&A episode, you can call in and leave a message at our Darkwater hotline, 919-307-9331. That's 919-307-9331. Or you can email us at darkwaterpod at gmail.com. That's darkwaterpod at gmail.com. So bi-weekly, Nick and I research, write, record, produce, and score this podcast together. Our friend Justin I mentioned earlier, Moonside Sound. He makes all the music exclusively for it. Oh, and you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Just search Darkwater Podcast. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and we'll have another episode out in a couple weeks. Feel free to communicate with us in the interim and let us know what you're thinking. And if you have a moment, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, or enjoy us wherever you listen to your podcast. That works too. Thanks.